بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد اللهم لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العلم الحكيم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا يا كريم رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل لقدة من لساني يفقه قولي My dear brothers and sisters in Islam, I greet you with the greetings of peace. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Barakallahu fikum. All praises belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And peace and salutations be upon the final messenger, Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I bear witness that there is no one worthy of worship besides one Allah, and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is... His messenger is his messenger. May Allah gather us with him in Jannah. Ameen. My dear brothers and sisters, we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and praise him. We praise Allah with love and exaltation. Because this is the meaning of hamd. Hamd is not just raw praise. It's praise or a shukr ma'al mahabbati wa ta'adheem. This is Hamd. Hamd refers to thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whilst loving Him and exalting Him. And nobody else can be thanked this way besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Alhamdulillah. All praises belong to Allah. All praises belong to Allah. Whether we praise Him or we don't praise Him, all praises belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, thanking Him with love and, and exaltation for decreeing upon us witnessing another taraweeh and another night from the months, or, or another night from the nights of this particular month of Ramadan. Allah has blessed us and is deserving of even more praise and thanks for allowing us to witness the 15th of the month. Yes, the month has reached. We don't say it's peak because we still have the last 10 nights and the night of power. But the month has indeed reached the halfway mark. The halfway mark. Wallahi, we waited for it since last Ramadan. And slowly but surely it came. And as it came, we've reached its half. And we ask Allah to grant us life to see its end. Ameen. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from amongst those freed from the hellfire. Ameen. And make us from amongst the muttaqoon, the people of taqwa. Ameen. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decree upon us to be from amongst those that will witness the night of power. Ameen. And thus receive the rewards greater than a thousand months. Greater than 83 years. Ameen. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is upon all able. My dear brothers and sisters, in yesterday's program, as we discussed the incident of the elephant, I promised to open today's program with a discussion surrounding Tawheed al-Rububiyyah or the Tawheed pertaining to the Lordship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or Tawheed in 
the Lordship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we said we will discuss this when we spoke about the famous words of Abdul Muttalib when he said to Abraha, Ala inna lil bayti rabban sayamna'uhu. Right? When he said that indeed this Kaaba has a Lord and this Lord will protect it. Right? And we, and we spoke about how or, or the lesson of having strong belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we said that you and I have a greater right towards having greater belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because we have complete tawheed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala unlike the Quraysh. And this is the question that comes to mind. That how is it that the Quraysh believed in Allah in the way that they believed? That they could purposefully speak to Abraha with confidence in this manner. Yet, they still needed a prophet to be sent to them. How is this possible? They believed in Allah. So why did they still need a prophet to be sent to them? In answer to this, my dear brothers and sisters, we must understand that Tawheed comprises of three aspects. Three aspects. Tawheed al-Rububiyyah, which we spoke about, the Tawheed in the Lordship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Tawheed al-Uluhiyyah, which is the unity in terms of Allah's worship, or Tawheed of, uh, of the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and then Tawheed al-Asma wa-Sifat. Belief that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's names and qualities are specific to Him subhanahu wa ta'ala and nothing else. This is what Tawheed entails. Tawheed entails these three matters. The Quraysh only believed in one of these three matters. We're not saying that Tawheed is three types. We're saying Tawheed comprises of these three aspects. You cannot be said to have, comp- to have Tawheed if you believe in one and deny the other two, or believe in two and deny the other one. If you deny one of the three, you will be a person who has entered the realm of shirk and denied Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and associated partners unto Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Quraysh, they believed in one of these three aspects. They believed in the lordship of Allah. They did not dispute the lordship. They were not atheists. They were not upon the, the argument of Fir'aun when he, he denied Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They did not deny the lordship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But they denied the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they were not people of Tawheed with regards to the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So why did they accept the Lordship of Allah? Or firstly, how do we know that they believed in Allah as the Lord? Firstly, we have the story that we've just taken. The statement of Abdul Muttalib, a polytheist, but his statement to Abraha of his belief in Allah, there's a Allah and he's the Lord of this house and he will protect it. Secondly, Allah tells us in his book, Allah tells us, وَلَئِن سَأَلْتَهُمْ مَنْ خَلَقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ لَيَقُولُنَّ اللَّهِ that if you ask these polytheists, these people who deny you and call you names, O Prophet of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, ask them, who created the heavens and the earth? Immediately they will say, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created it. So they believed in the Lordship of Allah. What does this Lordship mean? What does Rububiyya mean? 
Rububiyyah or the Lordship of Allah and belief in His Lordship pertains to you believing that Allah is the maker, the sustainer, the nourisher, the protector, the maker, the giver of life, the giver of death. This is the Lordship of Allah. He created everything in creation. And once they believed in the Lordship of Allah, they also committed shirk in the Lordship of Allah. Because they would ask idols for rain and for children, for example. And part of your belief in the Lordship of Allah is believing that it's only Allah who sends the rain. It is only Allah who gives you children. So even though they believed in Allah, their belief was polluted. They also had shirk in this belief. But the point to note is, they were not atheists, nor did they deny Allah. They believed in a supreme being, in a divine being. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whilst they had issues in the Lordship of Allah, those issues necessitated greater issues. And those issues are related to the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For when they started believing that other entities or these idols can be worshipped for children, can be worshipped for rain, or they could slaughter animals to these idols. They associated partners to Allah in terms of His worship. In terms of His worship, because dua is worship. Slaughtering an animal is worship as well. So they st in, in essence, what they did was they associated partners unto Allah in the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came to rid, came to fix their belief in rububiyyah and invite them to tawheed al-uluhiyyah. Invite them to tawheed al-uluhiyyah. Right? This uh, unity in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's worship that we worship none but Allah. We worship none but Allah as we believe no one else is the maker, the nourisher, the sustainer, the giver of life and death and the protector and so on and so forth, we worship none but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is why Allah sent to them a prophet. They were people of shirk. Yes, they believed in Allah, but their tawheed had many issues. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never sent any messenger except with the same message. In terms of theology, in terms of aqidah and belief, every prophet came with the message of Tawheed al-Uluhiyyah. Came with, with the message of Tawheed which comprises of these three. Al-Rububiyyah, Al-Uluhiyyah, and, and, and uh, Al-Asma wa Sifat, meaning belief in Allah's names and attributes. But the focus was Uluhiyyah. Every prophet. لَقَدْ أَرْسَلْنَا نُوحًا إِلَىٰ قَوْمِهِ فَقَالْ يَا قَوْمِ عَبُدُ اللَّهِ مَا لَكُمْ مِنْ إِلَٰهٍ غَيْرُهِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Indeed, we sent the first messenger. Who was the first messenger? Nuh alayhi salam. The first prophet was Adam alayhi salam. But the first messenger was Nuh alayhi salam. Allah says, We sent the first messenger to his people. And his message was them was uh, his message to them was worship one Allah. There is no one worthy of worship besides him. And this is the article of faith which you and I recite. La ilaha illallah. Meaning, la ma'abuda bihaqqin illallah. Meaning, there is no one worthy of worship besides one Allah. Right? And as I said, don't be confused here. We're not saying there's three tawheeds. 
This is Tawheed in its entirety. It comprises of these three aspects. And each aspect necessitates the other. And each aspect comprises of the other. But this breakdown that the scholars have done for us was to teach us the reality of Tawheed and why the Quraysh was sent a prophet. Rasulullah yes, he didn't come and say uh, and, 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 and speak about these categories. Some people have an argument against speaking about Tawheed this way. They say this is a type of innovation. Rasulullah nor the companions, none of them said there's rububiyyah and there's uluhiyyah and there's asma wa sifat. We say yes, they didn't. They invited towards Allah. But when they invited towards Allah, that da'wah comprised of these three elements. The reason why the scholars have highlighted these three elements is for you and I, who are not prolific in the Arabic language, who never lived during the time of Rasulullah who do not have a wholesome understanding of the Sharia, for you and I not to go astray, for you and I to be complete in our understanding of Tawheed. So this is not an innovation. This is to facilitate what's necessary. Just like in Salah, in Salah we have Fara'id of Salah, you have Sunan of Salah, right? We have the, the, in Wudu, we know we have the compulsory parts of Wudu, then the Sunnah parts of Wudu. Did Rasulullah come and say the four compulsory parts of Wudu are this, or the six compulsory parts are this, depending on uh, the, the, the madhab which you follow? And then the Sunnah of Wudu is this, and then the Nafil of Wudu is this. No. But the scholars broke it down for us to make it easier for us to comprehend. So that when we miss out something, we know exactly what we've left out. As for the companions who lived revelation, they knew because of their prolific nature and abilities with the Arabic language, they could differentiate between a compulsory, uh, uh, between revelation that denoted something compulsory and revelation which denoted something recommended. But you and I did not. And Islam was for the whole world. It wasn't just for the Arabs. So Allah inspired the scholars to come up with these um, detail to make matters easy. They were not creating an innovation nor a bid'ah. When the scholars explained the elements of Tawheed or what Tawheed ex uh, entails, it was the same way they explained the elements of Salah and what Salah entails. And nobody says it's a bid'ah to say that the pillar of Salah is this and the wajib of salah is that, and the sunnah of salah is that, in the same way, just as that isn't a bid'ah, this is not a bid'ah. In any case, this shouldn't be something that makes the hearts differ. Right? Right? Alhamdulillah, we have an international audience, and mashallah, Australia is international. Look at the people, mashallah. Cosmopolitan community. We, we must say that when we differ, the heart should not differ. And not every difference of opinion is a difference of opinion worthy of being considered. We must understand this as well. As our scholars used to say, وَلَيْسَ كُلُّ خِلَافٍ جَاءَ مُعْتَبَرًا وَلَكِنَّ الْخِلَافِ لَهُ حَظًّا مِّنَ النَّظَرِ This is what the scholars used to say, Rahmatullahi alayhim, that not every difference of opinion is a difference of opinion worthy of considering. The only difference of opinion you really consider is differences of opinion based on substantial evidence. Where this party has substantial evidence and this party has substantial evidence as well. Right? So, this is al and this is Al-Uluhiyyah. What is Tawheed or um, un uh, 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 the unity of one's belief in Allah's names and attributes? What is this? This refers to brothers and sisters not attributing Allah's qualities to any of His creation.
and not giving a creation any of the names specific to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like Allah, like Ar-Rabb, like Ar-Rahman, right? The name specific to Allah. And not denying the names of Allah. And not denying the attributes of Allah. This is what it refers to when we say unity in terms of one's belief in Allah's names and qualities. We know that we have a group of people. May Allah shower upon them guidance. They say that Rasulullah is what they say, Hadir Nadir. They say he's present and seeing. Right? They say he's present and seeing. We say that this is a type of shirk. This is a type of shirk. You've given an attribute of Allah. An attribute of Allah. The attribute of Allah being all aware and all seeing. Al-Basir. You've given it to a creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not give him this. Right? So we need, this is why the scholars bring to us these three components of Tawheed in this clarity. So we are wary and we make sure in every circumstance, with regards to the Lordship of Allah, we are safe. With regards to uh, belief in, in the, unity of, uh, the unity of Allah's worship, subhanahu wa ta'ala, we're safe. We don't attribute any partners with Him. With regards to, this, uh, to, to His names and attributes, we do not do anything. That contradicts the teachings of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with his names and attributes as well. Right? So this lesson is important. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam went to fix the issues that they had with their rububiyyah. And he went also to invite them towards Tawheed al-Uluhiyyah, worshipping one Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why from the names of Allah is Al-Ahad. Qul huwa Allahu Ahad. Al-Ahad. Allah is the one. And you should teach your children this, my dear brothers and sisters. The reason why I'm saying it is I'm having great fun with my little son, Abdullah. And, and it's fun the way he learns the names and the way he reads them back to you. It's amazing. And, and how he's... Subhanallah, you teach a name and a child's mind is amazing. How he starts analyzing this name and how he uses this name sometimes in, in a different circumstance. In a different circumstance. Because Allah can see everything. And you say, Subhanallah. <laughs> Right? Make sure if you said you're buying me that toy, you, you're going to buy it. You know? <laughs> right? Because Allah is a Samir. He, he, he hears everything. He heard you what you said. You should teach your children about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And teach them about Allah using His names and attributes. Teach them about Allah using His names and attributes. And don't feel that they don't understand. They have a greater imagine their brain can comprehend the unseen better than adults think about it how many people have children here mashallah may allah marry those who don't get get those who don't married inshallah and may allah bless you with children inshallah and those who are married and awaiting children may allah grant you children sooner rather than later i mean how many have had their children have imaginary friends Imaginary friends. Literally, it's, it, to, it, obviously it's, it's imaginary, but to them, the, the, the friend is here. And they give them names even. My little Abdullah, he, he has two imaginary friends. One is very naughty and one is very good. It's absolutely amazing. Whenever something naughty happens, he blames the naughty one. Without fail. Without fail. He will never mention, he, and he's named them. One is named Amun. I don't know where the name came from. Amun, which language that is. And one is called Bekeh. 
Amun and Beke. Amun is the good friend. Beke is the naughty friend. When something naughty happens, say it's Beke's fault. Uh, it, it's, it's Beke's fault. Yes, if he's not sleeping, Beke's not letting me sleep. I'm trying to. Amun is sleeping, Beke's not letting me sleep. <laughs> and we have great fun with it. Even I have fun with him. You know, now we traveled uh, from, from Saudi Arabia to Zimbabwe for the summer break. So uh, when we were leaving, I told him, I said, Abdullah, we're going to Zimbabwe. He says, yes. I said, whose house are we going to? He says, we're going to uh, his grandfather's house, my dad's house. I said, yes. I said, your bags are packed. He said, yes. I said, what about Amun and Beke? Started thinking. He says, mm, no, they're staying here. <laughs> but when I got into the plane, he said, uh, so we're going to Zimbabwe. I said, no, we're going to Dubai first. He says, why are we going to Dubai? I said, because the plane that goes to Zimbabwe, we have to catch it from Dubai. He goes, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. He goes, Amun and Beke, they're going to Qatar. I said, why are they going to Qatar? He says, their plane that goes to Zimbabwe is from Qatar. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. May Allah preserve our children in His obedience. Amen. So, they have an imagination. You tell them about Allah, Allah is not strange to them. It's not strange to them. Teach them about Allah. Never feel they're too small. And teach them also about shaitan. Never feel they're too small to know. Tell them shaitan is bad. Yaqub alayhi salam trained his young boy Yusuf alayhi salam about shaitan at a very young age. We know Yusuf was abducted as a young boy. But before he was abducted, Yaqub alayhi salam taught him, إِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ لِلْإِنسَانِ عَدُوٌ مُبِينَ That indeed shaitan is a clear enemy to insan, to mankind. Teach them about shaitan. In any case, Tawheed al-Rububiyyah. Why did the Quraysh accept that there's a Rabb, but they didn't accept that he's the only one worthy of worship? Why? I found an amazing explanation by Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahmatullahi alayhi about this point. And may Allah gather us with our scholars in Jannah, Ameen, with the Imams, Imam, Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Malik, Imam Shafi'i, Imam Ahmed, and all the scholars, the students of the Imams, Rahmatullahi alayhi. May Allah gather us with them in Jannah. Wallahi, we've benefited from them. And we, we read their works and we love them and can't wait to meet them. Ibn Taymiyyah, Rahmatullahi alayhi, says, look, the term Rabb, this is one of the names of Allah, this term Rabb has multitudes of meanings and that's why it's one of the great names of Allah. It's been used in the Quran hundreds of times. The only name uh, used more than Rabb is the name Allah. And that's why the scholars say the greatest name of Allah is Allah. There's some difference of opinion, but the majority say the greatest name is Allah. Rabb is also one of the great names of Allah. Why? Because this name entails several other meanings of the other names of Allah. One of the meanings of Rabb is the one who protects you and nurtures you to perfection, to completion. And that is why if you look at a lot of the supplications, it's Ya Rabb, Rabbana, 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 right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about the dua of the prophets and they were always saying, Rabbi, Rabbi ghfirli, wali walidayya. 
Rasulullah when he taught us the best of istighfar, Allahumma anta rabbi la ilaha illa and this term rabbi is used by all the anbiya alayhim salatu wassalam. Yusuf alayhi salam, when he was seeking protection from the females who were enticing him towards zina, he said, Rabbi sijin, oh my rabbi, he turned to his rabb, right? This term rabb was used by the the, the Anbiya wassalam, and it was used by the pious worshippers of Allah who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praised. For example, indeed in the differences of the night and the day. Indeed in the creation of the heavens and the earth. And in the differences of the night and day. And we know these differences. Some nights are long and some nights are short. Some nights are hot and some nights are cold. Some nights are loud with war. May Allah protect our brothers and sisters. Ameen. And some nights are peaceful with security. There's differences in the nights and the day. Allah says in all of this are signs for those of understanding. Allah praises the people of understanding. Who are the people of understanding, Ya Allah? Allah tells us, Allah says, الَّذِينَ يَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهَ قِيَامًا وَقُعُودًا وَعَلَى جُنُوبِهِمْ وَيَتَفَكَّرُونَ فِي خَلْقِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ Allah says, these people of understanding are those who remember Allah. Qiyaman, standing. وَقُعُودًا, while sitting. وَعَلَى جُنُوبِهِمْ And on their sides. And they ponder and reflect over the creation of the heavens and the earth. What does this ibadah do to them? This is ibadah. Reflecting is ibadah. What does it do to them? It inspires them. And it grows their awe of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Thus they feel this overwhelming need to exalt Allah. So they say, رَبَّنَا مَا خَلَقْتَ هَذَا بَاطِلًا رَبْ they say, oh our Lord, indeed you did not create this in falsehood. They start making dua and dua and dua. First they say, glory be to you, protect us from the hellfire. Then what do they say? رَبَّنَا إِنَّنَا سَمِعْنَا مُنَادِيَ يُنَادِ لِلْإِيمَانِ أَنْ آمِنُوا بِرَبِّكُمْ فَآمَنَّا رَبَّنَا فَاغْفِرْ لَنَا ذُنُوبَنَا وَكَفِّرْ عَنَّا سَيِّئَاتِنَا وَتَوَفَّنَا مَعَ الْأَبْرَارِ رَبَّنَا وَآتِنَا مَا وَعَدْتَنَا عَلَى رُسُلِكَ وَلَا تُخْزِنَا يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ إِنَّكَ لَا تُخْلِفُ الْمِيعَادِ رَبْ 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 We don't have time to go into the meanings, but revise it. I've given you its placement. Just before Surah An-Nisa. A page before Surah An-Nisa. So they call unto Allah saying, Rabb, Rabb, Rabb. What does Allah say to them? فَاسْتَجَابَ لَهُمْ رَبُّهُمْ Subhanallah. Allah says, Thus their Rabb responded to them and answered them. Subhanallah. And gave them the glad tidings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in this ayah. So this term Rabb has a specific presence and placement in the life of a human being. Because the human being is designed to survive. He is designed to survive. And Rabb refers to the one who protects you and nurtures you to completion. So Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah says it wasn't abnormal for them to accept this. It was part and parcel of 
what they have been designed to do, which is to survive. Their desire to survive necessitated them accepting the presence of a supreme being who they can turn to for protection and who nurtures them to completion. Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la, what a deep understanding. Wallahi, when, when I read this, it's like Ustad Ismail said, knockout punch. It was a knockout punch. Wallahi, I said, Subhanallah, look at this, uh, this aql of this man. Alright? Look at the brain of this person to actually deduce this and grow and enhance our understanding of the term Rabb. So this was not strange for the Quraysh. They need to survive in their, in, in, you know, insan, insan has its issues and weaknesses. Insan's, ish, insan's need to survive was far, it, insan felt that his need to survive was far greater than his need to worship one Allah. So he accepted the rububi of Allah and never necessarily accepted the uluhiyyah. If only insan knew that survival can only be when you worship one Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah gather us together to discuss Tawheed in greater detail. In this day and age, brothers and sisters, do we have issues in the rububi of Allah? Yes, we don't prostrate to anyone but Allah. And inshallah, we don't ask anyone but Allah. We don't ask any saint, we don't ask any person who's passed away. And we don't claim people to be saints before the day of Qiyamah. This is not from, from uh, the practice of Islam. And if you look at the sources even of those before us, it's, 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 not, from their, it's, it's not from the teachings of their prophets. Because the Jews and the Christians too believe in the day of judgment. And when they claim people to be saints, this is a contradiction. Not so. That you're claiming someone to be from paradise before the day of judgment. This is a contradiction. But in terms of Islam as well, people say this saint and that saint, we say only Allah knows who are the saints from the non-saints. Right? Nobody knows. <laughs> he liked that term non-saints, huh? <laughs> I didn't say nonsense. <laughs> but you, you caught on. MashaAllah, MashaAllah. You guys, why are you so slow, man? Come on. You're not fasting right now, are you? <laughs> So we don't ask people who've passed away. We ask only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So inshallah, we have no issues, inshallah, with the uluhiyyah. But do we have issues with rububiyyah? With our tawheed in the lordship of Allah? There are certain elements that need to be corrected in our societies, my dear brothers and sisters. There are. How many times do we hear people attribute success to themselves? How many times? How many times have people attributed financial success to themselves and not recognized Allah? Attributed educational success to themselves and not recognized Allah. Attributed success in their work and success in their play to themselves and not recognized Allah. How many times have they attributed success in the spouses that they're married to themselves? It's my handsomeness, it's my qualities that she wanted to marry me. Or the female will say, Alhamdulillah, I used to have a line of people who wanted to marry me. We deny Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the process. How many times do we attribute the success of our material well-being to ourselves and deny Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How many times do we hear a person say, it's I, 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 I put food on my table. I put food on my table. It is my earning. It is my hard work. It was my idea that got this deal. It was my doing that caused the success. How many times do we hear people say that? This is dangerous, my dear brothers and sisters. This shows a type, a form of weakness in terms of your tawheed al-rububiyyah. When you say Allah is the Lord, 
how can you attribute anything to yourself when Rabb refers to the one who nurtures you to completion? The perfection you have is not from yourself. It's from the one who nurtured you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Rabbul Izzati wal Jalal, Al-Wahid Al-Qahar, Al-Ahad, Al-Samad, Al-Samad, the one upon whom everything in creation is dependent upon. Alladhi lam yalid wa lam yulad wa lam yakullahu kufuwan ahad. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. How can we say this? Right? So we need to take heed, my dear brothers and sisters. Never, ever attribute anything to yourself. Your complete belief in Allah necessitates and dictates that you acknowledge Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Praise be to Allah who blessed me with these A stars in my exams. All praises be to Allah who blessed me with the ability to study. All praise be to Allah who increased my knowledge. All praise be to Allah who decreed upon me sustenance, who opened the hearts of the people to accept my idea for this deal to go through. All praise be to Allah. All praise be to Allah. All praise be to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the understanding. Ameen. We need to take heed, my dear brothers and sisters. Wallahi, discussing these things, you can go on and on talking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in this blessed month, but we must move on. The incident from the life of our Prophet wasallam that I wanted to discuss with you today was, as I said yesterday, the issue or the incident where his chest was opened wasallam. But this lesson needs to have, uh, or we need to discuss a few things before it. And in my preparation of the lesson today, uh, I saw that it wouldn't be possible for us to discuss the opening of the chest of the Prophet wasallam. So we'll postpone that to another session, bidnillahi ta'ala. Uh, what I want to discuss with you today, because it's necessary before we get to that incident, is the incident related to the birth of our beloved Prophet ﷺ. Um, and the practice of the Arabs related to fostering. Uh, and then inshallah, if Allah gives us life and brings us together, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss the opening of his chest wasallam and what you and I can learn from it. Inshallah. With regards to the birth of our beloved Prophet wasallam. Abdullah ibn al-Muttalib, ibn Abdul Muttalib, one of the sons of Abdul Muttalib, who was the father of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he married Amina. He married Amina bint Wahab. This was the mother of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now, obviously this is a summary, so we can go into the lessons, right? After he married her, he went on a journey. He joined one of the, the caravans that would travel for trade to a place called Gaza in this region known or, or the famous region known as Sham which covers a few countries today and he went for the purposes of trade as well now on the way back from this journey he became ill and when he became ill he decided to go to his uh, maternal uncles in Medina and rest over there so that uh, he could recover and then make his journey back to to Mecca so he went to his maternal uncle known as Bani Najjar and Allah decreed that he pass away. So that's where he passed away and that is where he was buried in Medina. Now, at this point Rasulullah was still in the womb of his mother. He wasn't born yet. Which means that when he 
eventually was born, he was born as an orphan. As an orphan. And this is what was referred to by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he said in Surah Al-Duha, Alam yajidka yatiman fa'awa. Allah says, did we not find you an orphan? Right? So Allah, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, uh, mentions this ayah, he's referring to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam being born as an orphan because his father passed away before he was born. And there's a lesson we'll take from this and we'll share with it inshallah. Now, the father of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is said to have passed away at the age of 25. Now with the birth of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam or the, the timing of the birth, the actual date of the birth, there's no dispute that he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was born on a Monday. No scholar disputes this fact. Because he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said this. He said in the hadith reported in Sahih Muslim by Imam Muslim that he was born on a Monday and that revelation came to him on a Monday as well. And that is why he also used to fast or he would fast a Monday and he would say that this was the day that I was born. So there's no dispute amongst the scholars that the day he was born was a Monday. Now, with regards to the place of him being born, then according to the correct opinion, and this is the opinion of the majority, Rasulullah was born in Mecca. Mecca. In terms of Mecca, some of the scholars said he was born in an establishment belonging to Banu Hashim. And some said he was born in an establishment close to Mount Safa. So there's two views of the historians and the scholars regarding the place of birth of Rasulullah the actual place where he was born. Now when he was being delivered, a mother of a famous companion, he later became a famous companion, his mother was the midwife and she facilitated the birth of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this was the mother of Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu an. With regards to the month of his birth, Ibn Kathir, the famous scholar and the famous mufassir, explainer of the Quran and the famous muhaddith, he was a scholar of hadith as well. And he was a famous historian as well. He's got an amazing book called Al-Bidaya wa Nihaya, where he discusses everything from the beginning Till the end, the beginning and the end, Al-Bidaya wa Nihaya. Ibn Kathir, Rahimahullah, he mentions in his book Al-Bidaya wa Nihaya that with regards to the month of birth of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, then some of the scholars said he was born in the month of Ramadan. Some said he was born in the month of Ramadan, whilst the vast majority said he was born in the month of Rabi' al-Awwal. Rabi' al-Awwal. And he himself, when he quotes this view of the Prophet ﷺ being born in Ramadan, he doesn't support the view. He says, this is a questionable view. The scholars who say he was born in Ramadan, they say, well, we know he became a prophet at the age of 40. And he became a prophet in the month of Ramadan. Which means that he must have been born in Ramadan. But this, this, is, this is not... I mean, anyone knows that a year compiles of... I mean, when you're 40 years old, you're not 40 years old only in one month, you're 40 years old for the course of the year. Right? So for them saying he was 40 when he became a prophet, and 
uh, he, he became a prophet in the month of Ramadan means he was born in Ramadan. There's no correlation. There's no correlation here. Uh, because he could have been born in another month of the year. And the majority of the scholars say that he was born in Rabi' al-Awwal. As for the actual day, uh, date, the actual date of birth, the scholars differed with many views. Some say he was born on the 2nd of Rabi' al-Awwal. Some say the 8th of Rabi' al-Awwal. Some say the 9th of Rabi' al-Awwal. Some say the 10th of Rabi' al-Awwal. Some say the 12th of Rabi' al-Awwal. Some say the 17th of Rabi' al-Awwal. And some even say the 22nd of Rabi'ul Awwal and they all have their evidences that they have used to substantiate their views. No doubt the common uh, view as we see today amongst uh, people uh, is the 12th of Rabi'ul Awwal. But the point to note is there's no conclusive evidence. And you can see a plethora of views of the scholars that I've cited for you. So with regards to the date of Rasulullah wasallam's birth, we don't know. The day, we know. The month, we know. The year, we know. The year we discussed yesterday, the year of the elephants. The month, Rabi'ul Awwal. The day, Monday. The date, we don't know. And perhaps this was wisdom from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to keep this hidden. Because also we learn from these brothers and sisters, and this is supposed to be taken in, in, in the benefit section, but we can say this now. The fact that there's no conclusive evidence Regarding the actual date means there's no significant worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala associated with the birth date of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. اليوم أكملت لكم دينكم وأتممت عليكم نعمتي ورضيت لكم الإسلام دينة Allah revealed to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam during the farewell hajj اليوم أكملت لكم دينكم The deen is complete. If there was any act of worship Related to the birth of Rasulullah there would be no difference of opinion regarding the date of birth of Rasulullah It would have been manifestly clear with evidence as clear as the sun. Now, when he was born, Amina sent him to his grandfather, Abdul Muttalib. And Abdul Muttalib took him into the Kaaba. And Abdul Muttalib then, on the seventh day, slaughtered and uh, he, he, he did a slaughter and he invited the Quraysh to partake of the meal. Nowadays we say aqiqah. Right? So understand that uh, Islam came to perfect the most noble of characters. Right? Right? Things which, uh, were, uh, uh, things which were acceptable, we see Islam uh, either not speaking about it, meaning it's permissible, or actually... Um, revealing evidence that's cited as a means of worship. Like the aqiqah is a means of worship. The aqiqah is a means of worship. On the seventh day, he slaughtered and he fed the Quraysh. When this meal happened, they asked him. They said, what have you named him? So he said, I've named him Muhammad. Now, obviously this name was strange. This name was strange to the Quraysh. And they said, why have you named him Muhammad? He said, with the hope that he will be praiseworthy in the heavens and on earth. Subhanallah, look how Allah inspires. Allah inspires whom He wills, when He wills, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? This name Muhammad was not famous at the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi or, or, or in this peninsula and at that time, except with a few people. And it is said that those few people who were named Muhammad by their parents were named Muhammad because people heard that there's a prophet coming whose name will be Muhammad. 
And subhanallah, look how Allah protected the prophethood of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam because we have no mention that any of those Muhammads actually took claim to prophethood. <laughs> Nobody took claim to prophethood. And to be honest, who would dare when, they, when they, we would see the persecution the Quraysh was, <laughs> was afflicting on those who uh, said La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah and accepted the message of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and his prophecy. Ibn Kathir says in his writings, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected the prophethood of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam by preventing any of the other Muhammads from announcing any claims to prophecy. Right? Now, there's many points that we can learn just from our discussion surrounding the birth of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And this is the essence of our time together because we're talking about fiqh, a seerah, understanding the seerah. We want to understand it in this century. Seeking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's assistance, I say. Firstly, we learn what we just said. The date of birth is disputed. So, they can no, so no one can confidently say there's any act of worship attributed to the birth day of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That's the first thing. And, and the evidence for this is the many dates cited by the scholars. And had there actually, had there actually been an act of worship, Allah would have released to us the actual date of his birth sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Secondly, brothers and sisters, we learn that a person is called an orphan if their father passes away, even if their mother is alive. This is what we learn. In the Sharia, this is the definition of an orphan because Allah said, Alam yatiman. Allah called him a yatim, called him an orphan even though his mother was alive, but his father had passed away. Understand this, right? If you want to assist orphans and you're trying to understand who is an orphan, an orphan is also one who has lost his or her father before this person was born or after this person was born before this person reaches the age of puberty. An orphan is no more considered an orphan when they reach the age of puberty. Even in the, in the Islamic rulings, many rulings of the orphans um, uh, are set till the age the orphan reaches the age of puberty. When they reach the age of puberty and they have abilities with wealth, for example, the wealth should be given back to them and so on and so forth. We also learn from how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused him sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to be born after his father passed away that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was not just any orphan but an orphan in the most complete form of the term orphan. So this is wisdom from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, why Allah decreed this, right? The most complete orphan is the one who's born before, uh, after his father passes away. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserve our parents in his obedience. Ameen. And for those who've passed away, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant them graves that are gardens from the gardens of Jannah. And may Allah unite us with them underneath His arsh on the day of Qiyamah. And may Allah gather us with them in the highest Jannah al-Firdaus al-A'la. Ameen. Ya Rabbil Alameen. Our scholars, rahmatullahi alayhim, say that when we look at the actual birth of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, we see how Allah nurtured him to be a prophet from the first breath he took in this life. Because him being born this way allowed him to live a life different to others. 
being born as a perfect orphan, right? He was born in, 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 in very unique circumstances, right? And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa growing up without a father, allowed him to develop a form of sensitivity, a form of sensitivity in his da'wah. We see how sensitive he was, sallallahu alayhi wa to the people, how he made excuses for the people. He had an under... He, he had life experience from the first breath that he took. Because wallahi, nobody knows how it is to grow up without a father. Except the person who's grown up without a father. Nobody knows. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa from the first breath was experiencing life without a father. So this nurtured him in a specific way. Right? And gave him specific qualities. Allah was preparing him to be a prophet before he was born. And our scholars say, we learn from this how Allah protected his prophethood as well. From the first breath he took. Why? Because no one could slander him and accuse him of coming with a message which he took from his father. And nobody did this. Nobody could do this. Nobody could say your message is from your, it's from your father. Your father brought you up, he taught you. You've just come with... With, with, with something is related to you. There's no significance to, uh, uh, to this, right? But they couldn't. They couldn't slander him with anything. He was attributing it to Allah. And he didn't have a father. And he was born without a father. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected him as a prophet, nurtured him to be a prophet, right? We know from, from the first breath till 40, he was being nurtured. He, he was also attending to the... He was a shepherd as well. This nurtures you. A shepherd of sheep, subhanallah. A shepherd of sheep is different than the one who herds camels and the one who herds other animals, right? And, and, and if you, you know, mashallah, I have some friends who, who come from the farmlands in Saudi Arabia and they have camels and so on and so forth. And they tell you amazing things of the differences, you know, the qualities you need to, be, to herd sheep. I, I haven't done it, wallahu a'lam. Mashallah, Australia, a lot of farmlands. Maybe we have some farmers here, you'd know better. Anybody uh, a farmer here? No? We're in the middle of the city. The farmers are far away. They say, they say when you herd sheep and goats and so on and so forth, it's a different, different experience than camels. You know, a camel gets lost, it, it doesn't affect you because it can protect itself. A sheep gets lost, you're worried. You go running after it. You're concerned about it. This flock doesn't belong to you. You'll be answerable to the owner. And you know, any delay, every second delayed, I've made the chance of this sheep being killed by a wolf or something even greater. Right? Every second counts. It changes your whole perspective. And even the, the, the nature that it, give, it gives you a soft nature because the, the way they, the sounds that they make and so on and so forth and the way that they behave. Right? It changes you as a person. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was nurtured for prophecy. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَقَدْ جَاءَكُمْ رَسُولٌ مِّنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ Indeed, there has come to you a messenger from you. He eats like you, he drinks like you, he marries like you, he sleeps like you, he gets tired, he gets ill. From you, a messenger. Azizun alayhi ma'anittum. He is affected by that which affects you. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Subhanallah. You have a problem. He is having a sleepless night. Subhanallah. Azizun alayhi ma'anittum. Harisun alaykum. He has extreme care for you. Extreme concern for you. 
With the believers, his ra'uf and rahim, his soft and kind, hearted and kind nature, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected his prophethood and Allah nurtured him as well from the first breath that he took by decreeing that he be born without a father. From the lessons we also learn, my dear brothers and sisters and my dear mothers and fathers, motherhood is from the greatest gifts that a child can have. Because Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam or Allah decreed that he be with his mother for the earliest years of his life. And think about this, my dear brothers and sisters, because I'm introducing this lesson here. This is not strange. This is not strange. Right? This is not strange. Look at Ismail alayhi salam. Allah commanded that he be left in the barren land with who? With his mother. Look at Musa alayhi salam. Allah decreed that he be returned to his mother. Look at Isa alayhi salam. He was born and he didn't have a father. Subhanallah. Motherhood, the greatest gift. We see mother, 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 mother. The greatest gift a child can have. Right? And what will make us understand motherhood? And what will make us understand the magnanimous nature of being a homemaker? The greatest that walked this earth, my dear mothers and sisters, the greatest that walked this earth have had mothers who brought them up to be great. They weren't great just like that. They had mothers who brought them up to be great. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam be with his mother in the earliest years of his life sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now don't get me wrong, my dear attendees. I'm not belittling the role of being a father in any way or form. I think the fathers are smiling here, say alhamdulillah. We better plan our, plan our trips and our holidays. Now we don't have to be around. <laughs> the prophets were raised by mothers. No. You ha- the, the impact of a father is great. Don't, uh, don't mistake me here. And even when we look at the prophets, like Musa alayhi salam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that Musa alayhi salam was brought up under the care of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Isa alayhi salam and Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Ismail alayhi salam and so on and so forth. A father figure is important in the life of a child. And, and yes, my fathers, you need to man up. You need to change diapers. You need to also feed your, your, your children. Because this way, I, you know, I know we say it's the role of the mother. And yes, the mother, it is her role. But it's also your role in some way. Why? So that you break any barrier between your child and you. You see, children are more closer to the mother. Why? Because the father is he's not there to do the intimate things. So whilst we're not saying do it every day, what we're saying is some days. Break the barrier. Build the bridge. One day feed your child. One day change his nappy or her nappy. And you'll see how much fun they will have. And tomorrow when they have an issue and, and, and the mother is not around, they won't choose to remain isolated from you as a father. You get what I'm saying? It's important. But the focus of our discussion is mothers. Today, my dear mothers and sisters and fathers and brothers, we live in an age where subhanallah, the eloquence and elegance and excellence of motherhood has been sucked out of the word. Today, who wants to be called mother or homemaker? You know, when your child gets born, you get a birth certificate. Some countries, they ask you, occupation. 
What's the occupation of the, of the father? Father's thinking of, how can I butter my qualification? So you know, when my son looks at his certificate, he's going to say, wow, this is my dad. Babe, what about the mother? Homemaker, housewife, mother. No, 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 no. Put the teacher, maybe domestic engineer. Domestic engineer. Oh, no, 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 no. Why don't you put minister of interior? This is powerful. This is powerful. Whatever the case, whatever the case. We say, Names and titles mean nothing. It's the reality that counts. It's the reality that counts. Right? Being a mother, my dear brothers and sisters, is the greatest qualification you can have by Allah, it is. And I like to call our mothers trim tabbers. Trim tabbers. You know what a trim tabber is? A trim tabber is the small rudder on the Titanic that needs to turn so the big rudder of the Titanic can turn, which needs to turn so this mighty ship can turn. Subhanallah. She's a trim tabber. Right? If she doesn't do what she does, she cannot nurture the big rudder that can do what he needs to do or she needs to do to cause a fundamental shift in the world, to impact this world in a great way. Look at Imam Malik rahimahullah. Imam Malik had a mother. She was a trim tabber. She was. She brought him up. Rahimahullah. And she took him to the teacher of Imam Malik and she said to him, teach him manners before you teach him knowledge. Subhanallah. Today, which mother does that? Mother would say, he's the sheikh. You know, the sheikh knows. No, 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 no. You're the sheikh, but I'm the sheikh. <laughs> right? right? You're the sheikh, but I'm the bigger sheikh. I'm telling you what to do. This is my son. It's my responsibility. Teach him manners before you teach him knowledge. Who was Imam Malik? Did Imam Malik not instigate a fundamental shift in, in this life? Of course he did. His contribution to fiqh does nev it can never go unnoticed. But he caused the ship to turn being a rudder. But him as a rudder turned when the trim tabba, the small rudder turned. And that was his mother doing what she needed to do. Think of this, my dear mothers who are listening very attentively. And my dear sisters who inshallah one day will become mothers. And again, I'm not saying you should be locked up in a glass box as a mother. I'm not saying you shouldn't excel in education. I'm not saying you shouldn't excel in your fields of, of, of specialities and concentration. No. I am saying prioritize. When you list your greatest achievements, make sure motherhood is at the top. Before you being a chartered accountant, or being a flamboyant lawyer, or being an amazing engineer, list motherhood as your greatest achievement, because Islam has given it great weight. And we know this, my dear mothers, we know that Islam has taught us that the greatest right upon a child is to respect his mother, or her mother before the father. When the person went to Rasulullah and said, Who has a greater right of my care and my concern and my respect? He said, Your mother. Then who? Your mother. Then who? Your mother. It didn't come for free, my dear mothers and sisters. It came because of the elegance that Islam has placed in motherhood and you being a mother and Islam recognizing your contribution. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bring about, bring about a great understanding.
I've been given a red card and I say this every day. But people fail to realize we started this lesson late. <laughs> Just a couple of minutes and we'll end. A couple of minutes which we ask Allah to put barakah in so it becomes five, inshallah. <laughs> you know, we have elective roles and we have mandatory roles. Anybody who studies management knows this. We have elective roles and mandatory roles. Mandatory roles are those roles which you cannot give up. They are God-given roles to you. Elective roles are those roles which you choose to assume. Your degree, your qualification, your job title. Your mandatory role is you being a mother. How sad is it today that we've switched priorities and we've given excellence and attention to elective roles over mandatory roles. Isn't that, isn't that a contradiction? Isn't this something strange? Doesn't this go against common sense? Right? So this is the lesson uh, that we learn, my dear um, mothers and my dear sisters, from the birth of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala left him in the care of his mother from a young age. We also learn, and this is the last lesson, the importance, or we learn, my dear brothers and sisters, that being an orphan is not weakness. This is what we learn from the birth of Rasulullah Being an orphan is not a problem. Being an orphan is not weakness. Wallahi, it's not. For the greatest man to have walked the face of this earth was an orphan, Muhammad ibn Abdullah And you and I need to change our perspective of orphans and, not, and stop seeing them as a problem that needs a solution. Rather, we should see them as the solution. We should see them as part of, as, as prob probably greater elements of society given our respect for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And for those here in the audience who mashallah have access to orphans, please take this message to them. That by Allah you are not weak. By Allah you are strong. Weakness is not in being born to one parent or being born to no parents. And strength is not in being born to two parents or being born to one parent. Strength is in belief in one Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and following the way of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Do me this favor for those who mashaAllah have access to orphans. Visit uh, uh, institutions that look after orphans and take this message from me to them from the bottom of my heart. We should also learn from this my dear brothers and sisters how elegant it is to look after an orphan. You know, our love for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam should at least create within us a feeling that we would like to adopt an orphan, like to look after an orphan. Especially in Muslim minorities, where orphans are being brought up by non-Muslims. We're not saying they're not doing a great job, they are. And we thank them for it, because the Muslims are not stepping up. So we have to offer gratitude to the non-Muslims who take Muslim uh, children into their homes and raise them. Right? We at least should make an effort to go to them and visit them and teach them. You know that this is Ramadan, fasting happens. At least this person, this caretaker, this carer who's a non-Muslim, let's try and help the orphan. If we can't look after the orphan, let's try and assist the process. Go visit the carer and explain to them that you know what, this is Ramadan. These are, these are some of the practices in Ramadan. If you wake up the child at this time, if you allow them to break fast at this time, this is the day of Eid. Take some new clothes, give it to the carer so they can present. So also they can feel that they were brought up upon the values of Islam. Our learning of the seerah, our knowledge of the fact that Rasulullah should instigate within us sensitivity towards orphans. 
If we don't have the, if we're not engineered, let me not say that, but what I'm saying is, you know, engineered in terms of society. Society makes things taboo to us. Look at today, marrying a widow. This is something difficult for the ummah. Right? This is something difficult. This is something that needs uh, our attention as well. But if society has brought us up upon a peril whereby we don't feel we have the strength to adopt an orphan and bring up an orphan, don't close the door totally. That which cannot be done in its entirety should not be left out in its entirety. Honor your Prophet ﷺ. Do it for, your, for, for this love that you have for him and the fact that he was an orphan and the fact that he taught us the greatest rewards that Allah has for the one who takes care of, of an orphan and donate help institutions that look after them. Or you yourself find a carer who's looking after one and offer your advice, offer your support, offer your gifts, offer a voice. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the understanding. Much has been said just from the birth of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Ya Allah, what follows? You have to tune in tomorrow and in the nights to come. Everything correct said is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and He's perfect. And any mistakes are from myself and shaitan and I seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness. Subhanallah wa bihamdi subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.